and then it started like a guilty thing upon a fearful summons. I have heard the cock, that is the trumpet of the morn, doth with his lofty and shrill-sounding throat awake the god of day. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 9, And Then It Started Like a Guilty Thing. Eleanor tries to help a friend in need, while Helena confronts Lucius about his role in Alistair Lacey's attempted murder. Cyrus tries to build a crib for his newborn son-to-be, and Liam reconnects with a forgotten love interest. Well... We made it to the penultimate episode yeah. and I'm of guessing... season two. We made it farther than anyone thought we would, besides Darren. He was the only one who so believed close. in us. We're almost at the finish line of being completely caught up, and then we get summer break to have <laughs> our zany misadventures, and then it's back to the grindstone in the fall. Uh, it's flashbacks of being back in school. And flashbacks of watching flashbacks on the Royals. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But no, it's like this is the period of the podcast where we're studying for finals and we're just so apprehensive for this weight to be lifted off of us for a few months. Yeah, we're definitely starting to get spring fever. You know, the end is in mm -hmm. sight. Uh, and just to to take the wind out of our sails, to take what little yeah. enthusiasm we had left, Mark Schwann raised his almighty hand and slapped us back down to earth I, this week. I am guessing just, if you're a listener who has heard this show before and you heard the summary that we just did, I'm guessing you have a good idea of how we responded to this episode <laughs> already. If you've heard any of my season one uh, high-pitched angry rants, or I guess for that matter, my season two high-pitched angry rants, I just feel like I did a few more in season one, then mm. you can imagine just how well we uh, enjoyed some of the sexual politics in this episode, among other things. Yeah. Um, but I want to say, I feel like last week I left kind of giddy. I think part of that was recording with Jesse. Definitely sure. check out that episode if you haven't heard it already. Um, but... So much happened. It was so crazy. And Joan Collins is a murderer. Mm -hmm. And Prudence appeared from behind the double door. And it was just like really good, frothy soap opera fun, even with all that artsy stuff at the beginning of that episode. Yeah. So I came into this episode like excited. And then the previously on was Eleanor's friend from rehab who's with that Russian guy. And like, I know yeah. what's up. I yeah. know what's going on. We, and I immediately was like, oh, no. And my heart just sank. I uh, I had an extremely similar experience because uh, we've seen this season before. Yeah. But, we've uh, made no secret of that. Um, the second I saw on the previously on the, the rehab woman appear, I think I immediately sent you a text about how I had completely forgotten this storyline. Because I had I had the identical experience of being like, oh yeah, it's this one. 
Yeah, I wish I could like eternal sunshine myself. Take mm-hmm. this one right out of my head. I think I basically did because I too was like completely blindsided by it. Even though we did see that girl in the birthday party mm-hmm. episode, and I was like, "Oh no, well that's coming around the bend." Yeah, but yeah. I guess the only way through this because the good thing is like many royals plot lines it only really lasts an episode so if we can just push through this right to the other side then we won't have to talk about sex trafficking Uh, anymore a lot of stuff was revealed last episode a lot of stuff was learned in this episode we get one big reveal we kind of already knew but almost everything else is pretty isolated to this episode i feel like big thing at the end but otherwise the storylines are like liam gets offered a job liam doesn't take it okay that's the story well there's a lot more to it than that because we need to talk about the location of that job and why but Mm -hmm. all in due time but the weird thing is there are a few scenes in this episode that are not connected to any other scenes in this episode like i'm just gonna dish one out right up front because there there's literally only one scene with these characters sure penelope Penelope and maribel Maribel are visited by Mm moorfield and they both are like this is my new boyfriend to each other and they realize after a few stupid perfectly in unison lines that he's seeing both of them and they just like gape at each other and that's it that's That's all it's just to remind us they exist i think but it feels like it was cut from another episode and like dropped in don't worry because they definitely get gratuitous shots of Whichever one had plastic surgery. Maribel. Yes. In uh, her underwear, wiggling like into a dress, but not in a way that she was actually trying to get into it, but in a way that like (laughs) she was clearly wiggling to try and be sexy for the camera. Yeah. Season two is all about the male gaze. I mean, rest in peace, rest in peace, bisexual Cyrus, because straight Cyrus is on the throne now and I do not approve when he was watching his prostitute maids build a cradle for his son, he was so happy about it. I was just like, oh, it's again, it's not that I'm like judging him for being with women and not men, but he's just so much more boring when he's with women. And he's so much more interesting when he's with men. To his credit, he did show some restraint, some, I guess, some straight restraint in this episode um, because he was pretty openly offered the opportunity to sleep with yet another one of his maid-slash-prostitutes, and he turned it down flat. I think all Cyrus does in this episode is we see the cradle. He's got an Ikea subplot in this episode. Yeah, let's get it right out. I mean, this is a very... This is a minor subplot. Yeah, let's just toss toss these out while we can because we do have quite a lot to get through you may remember from last episode cyrus has decided to marry prudence and is now looking forward to becoming a father to a young man who will replace maribel and penelope as his rightful heir and so he decides to build his son a crib and he is insistent that he's going to do this himself and it is literally like it's very truncated, but it is literally like an Ikea subplot you would see on another show. Like one character yeah. has to build something for their son. They get it from Ikea and the rest of the episode is them struggling with it. Yeah, he tries building it while drinking. Then mm-hmm. we cut away from that. 
that doesn't work. Um, he has these, you know, some of his prostitute maids, including this really aggressively sexual one who looks kind of like Prudence a little bit, but with darker hair and a narrower face. Sure. I wish there was more defining traits I could give than that, but that's all she I got. She's extremely forward yeah. and obvious about the fact that she wants to have sex with Cyrus. Again, it really is like... It's like the intro scenes to a porn. She's like, mm-hmm. is there anything else I can do to serve your majesty? Like, mm-hmm. very, very obviously. And, of course, she's wearing the, you know, <laughs> customary. Standard costume. The, the yeah. palace issued sexy maid costume. <laughs> It's what you get when you show up on your first day. They take $50 out of your paycheck and give you this maid costume. She and this other girl like bend over building this crib while Cyrus watches from his fancy throne-esque chair. Yeah, lasciviously. And then in the last one, like it's together and he brags about, it's like a Peter Pan, oh, the cleverness of me. Like he brags about what a great crib it is. And then the maid is like, is there anything else I can do? You know, blah, blah, sex sex offering and (laughs) he requests that she get him some pomegranate juice which we know from the previously on and only from the previously on that is a callback to something violet used to bring for him because she said it one time pomegranate juice she was an advocate but yeah he's clearly turning down sex with this maid when he requests the pomegranate here's my question for you Would you have known that the mm-hmm. pomegranate juice was an allusion to Violet if they hadn't shown it to you on the previously on? I think I missed it on the previously on. I remember if we didn't do this podcast, the answer would probably <laughs> be no. But I remember us talking about the pomegranate juice in the episode Violet was introduced. Well, because she offers it to him. Several I have times. news for you. Not only are we the only two people with a podcast about the royals, but we're the only two people watching the show. Well, then mission accomplished. One hundred percent of the got audience their message caught the illusion. But yeah, he tries to build the crib really briefly, and then he has them do it. He seems a little disappointed that he didn't do himself when he talks to the maid who wants to have sex with him at the end. I guess so. I think he's like doing his typical Cyrus, like outward bravado, inward brooding Cyrus thing. Mm -hmm. Although I could be mixing it up with another scene where he's snarky because you know what? It's been a long season. (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, that's literally that whole storyline. It's one of, weirdly, it wouldn't be... Stage of Fools, if we didn't mention prestige television. But there were two separate things in this episode that reminded me of The Wire. And one of them was Cyrus building this crib. Because there is a scene where the main character of The Wire gets drunk and has to build bunk beds for his children who are coming over for the weekend. That is memorable. And the other is the earrings, which get passed around so much this season. Finally, in this episode, we'll get to it later. Jasper gives them to Eleanor for a second time, I think. He brings them back to her. But there's a ring in one season of The Wire that gets passed around in a very similar fashion between all the different characters. But I just had to get our prestige television reference This in. has been another segment of Zach Talks About The Wire. We should get you your own intro and outro music. Sure. <laughs> you have five different theme songs to choose from. But I'm sure it's extremely we to, relevant, but I have not seen The Wire, and I think you know that. Yeah, well, I haven't seen Skins, so your favorite show? So we're on equal I ground there. I don't know there. that it's my favorite show, or even I'm saying it's the best show I've watched. 
Mad Men. But um, it's the mm. show that was most formative to me. But that's okay, another story enough. for another podcast, maybe. Since we're doing it storyline by storyline, let's do Liam next, because I feel like that's a pretty light storyline. Yeah, story and I feel like too. no one intersects this time, honestly. Yeah, uh, the only thing is early in the episode, there's a montage of four separate characters telling other characters to please have a seat. And it's extremely on the nose. Somehow I missed that and now I'm kicking myself for it. That is brutal. Rehab Girl says it to Eleanor when she meets her at the hotel. And then they cut to Liam meeting with the PM who says, please have a seat. And then Ted tells Jasper to please have a seat. And then Helena tells Lucius to please have a seat. And then it's an act break right there. You know, they had to get their stylish flourishes in there somehow. Yeah, I don't know. They're trying something. I guess I can't fault them for trying i wish they would try a little more in the arenas of continuity and character development but we all have our own preferences uh i guess i don't know uh where should we dive in with liam well early in the episode i think this probably kicks us off jasper is in liam's room retrieving a gun Again, he has hidden about 40 guns in Liam's room, just like he did in Eleanor's. And the conversation... And, and Liam is concerned about the safety of having loaded guns hidden <laughs> in his room, reasonably. And Jasper says, when was the last time you even had anybody in this room? Which makes him realize the last time he had somebody in the room... This isn't even true, by the way. He had Dominique Jr. in the room in the yeah. last episode. I think he meant but, in the room, you know sexually uh he remembers that he completely ditched i thought her name was genevieve her willow and i was like what is happening they've been calling her genevieve and jen all season yeah i don't i thought her name was genevieve <laughs> they said willow and they they called her willow for the rest of the episode really yeah, I actually got so confused I broke our golden rule and looked it up. And the actress is named Genevieve. But what happened? I swear they were calling her Genevieve before. I feel like one of those conspiracy theory people who thinks that it used to be Bernstein Bears instead of Berenstein Bears, but we're existing in an alternate timeline. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the Royals has no internal continuity. We all know it. But this is an especially weird example. Well, we have to talk about her uh, this episode. What are we going to call her? Will Aviv, Will, uh, Geno? I don't Those know. Those are both really gross sounding. Terrible, terrible names. Um, bonus, though, I did incidentally learn that the person who plays Willow slash Genevieve played uh, Penzi Parkinson in the Harry Potter movies, or was one of two actresses oh, to play Oh my that gosh, I know, I know exactly which one she was. I can picture her in my mind's eye, absolutely. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, good for her. Um, she was the one, yeah. yeah, who was in the early years, and she shows up in some great pictures with Tom Felton. I mean, that is absolutely priceless. Anyway, um, but we have to rewind on this. It's not that he... We just have to keep calling her Genevieve, because our audience knows her as Genevieve. Sure. It's not yeah. that he ditched Genevieve it's that he completely forgot that she was that she was naked in, in his room basically because he dunked yeah, her in much. a fucking dunk tank full of champagne full of champagne and then yeah. was like go to my room and we'll have sex with each other I mean basically not in so many words but 
Uh, it was strongly implied. And she specifically says of the episode, it's happened to me one too many times that guys have just forgotten about me, which sounds crazy in the first place. Which is insane for a beautiful girl whose only costumes are corsets with skirts attached. Bonkers. But, but that's Liam for you. He just forgot that she was there, I guess. Do you think, audience, that Liam is going to get taken to task for his terrible behavior by this person? Or do you think he's going to get instant forgiveness the second Not he arrives? forgiveness but a very encouraging speech about how he can change the world yeah yeah he meets her at a park bench to apologize crazy Um, i'm sorry this scene is crazy in a crazy episode (laughs) yeah it is very strange and he apologizes to her and she was like no i had a great time all night i had drinks i had fun okay no nothing to apologize what she says is immediate forgiveness uh, i drank champagne And then when the fire alarm went off and they evacuated everyone, I got extra cake. Because all season they've been setting her up as the cool girl who drinks a lot and loves eating food. But of course, I mean, like, she has an amazing body. So it's just, I was like, of course they're going to find a way to wedge that in. That Mm -hmm. she forgives him effortlessly while at the same time talking about what a lush dessert addict she is, as always. Shannon, I think the problem is if she were upset with him or showed a normal human response to being forgotten in a bedroom. For three days. Yeah, for three days. I think it might give her a little too much character and that would make her less effective at just being a tool for pushing Liam forward with no internal life of her own. At this point, it's like they're worried about giving Liam too much character because it's just like, like nothing. Yeah. Nothing. It's not the actor's fault, but it's just he's been given nothing. They walk and talk. And, of course, the only thing they talk about for the entire time they're together are Liam's problems. Oh, um, at this point, he has already visited the prime minister. The prime minister has called Liam into his office earlier in the day, I assume. And basically, the long and short of it is is she offered him a job, but she did it in a very specific way, I guess Bent you could say. over she double. She was true to her character. Putting her boobs in his face. And I saw him look. Directly. I don't know if that was an acting choice or if it was just something that happened. But I saw it. I'll bet they told called him to out. He, it was, he was making eye contact with her. Then he looked down. But as he looked down, like for one moment, it was like, ah. But honestly, I can't say I blame him because she's doing her she, typical. She yeah, always was, sits on her desk and just leans over as far as she can. Very intentional she's leaning like, on her part. Double. It's crazy. As close as she could possibly get to his face. Uh, like she was a half a foot away from just smothering him directly. Pretty much. It was absurd. Um, So she's offering him this, like, junior cultural ambassador position. And she says Mm -hmm. the job is in New York. And we're supposed to be like, New York, but that's where Ophelia is. That's where he wanted to go and be happy. But let's stop for a moment. They don't have any constituents in New York. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have any subjects in New York. What is a British prince or a British ambassador? Like, teen ambassador going to do in New York City. I have to, like, my only guess was, A, there's a British embassy of some kind there that he would work at, or B, he'd work for, like, the UN in some capacity, maybe? He's ill-equipped to do either of those things. Either of those things. He has no training whatsoever in politics or diplomacy, and he's extremely high-profile to just be, like, an assistant. 
Yeah. There you go. So that was something that I was really laughing about a lot, especially because Liam goes to Eleanor and tells her, and he's like, it's in New York. And then she gives him this whole thing about, oh, the night you almost left with Ophelia, you were so happy and you should go to New York and be happy. Just like hilarious to me how for not even one beat, she's like, wait, why New York? Because I could not think about anything else. Not only that, but... Much like everybody else who meets him, uh, both characters have immediately forgotten that Nick exists and is of technically course, a problem. Of course, because they're, I mean, Liam is so self-absorbed in that way. But we have to re- briefly revisit the scene with Genevieve slash Willow because Liam sure. is talking about, you know, maybe taking the position the prime minister gave him and, oh, the royalty is just irrelevant. And Genevieve's <clears> like... <throat> does that seem irrelevant to you? And then like dramatically mm-hmm. points yeah. to this wall where there's graffiti that says hashtag King Liam, not King Liam. Yeah. It says hashtag King Liam. Hashtag King Liam. That's that. It's that's his hashtag. That first comment on that video apparently started a trend. This is these characters idea of relevance is like pop culture recognition. <laughs> Trending on Twitter is the highest honor That's that can be bestowed. That's us being like Kylie Jenner is the most culturally relevant figure right now. I bet there are people who would make yeah. that argument, but I mean, in terms of like shaping something like laws, <laughs> um, Kylie yeah. Jenner doesn't have a lot of power in that sense. That's the impression that we're getting. Anyway, Liam turns down the job and decides to stay to Eleanor's delight, Mm -hmm. uh, even though he does nothing to help her and actively encourages the worst influence in her life to keep pursuing his sister, which is, honestly, even if Jasper weren't a good dude, don't encourage guys to keep pursuing your uninterested sister. Or siblings, for that matter. But you know what? I think... This might be something that applies especially with straight guys, let's be honest. But Jasper does get a lot of encouragement in this episode. As per usual, every single person he meets is so like, I don't understand the phenomenon, but like Jasper... Every single person he meets, because one person fucks it up big time, and that is Ted, when he instructs Jasper sure. to stop looking into the case of Simon's murder which is oh, for sure the most suspicious exactly. thing. Exactly. And ever. Jasper basically says as much to Liam. He's like, I've been instructed to stop looking into your father's murder by Ted. So it's probably Ted. Yeah. And then he presents, he presents uh, Ted with proof that Lucius couldn't have done it. Like the security tapes clear Lucius of the crime. Right. And Ted's response is stop looking into this. <laughs> Ted is like, so stupid that it bad hurts. at being a murderer. He's bad at everything. He's the worst. Dutchie needs to give him murderer classes at some she, point. She got away with it for thirty years. Thirty years, and I think she could get that plea like pled down to manslaughter because that's such a convoluted. I was just plot. trying to kill the horse. But yeah, Ted is worried about being found out, and his ghost psychological apparition is uh older and angrier than ever yeah uh she's ratcheting up his paranoia he also uh has video footage of duchy confessing to murdering dominique which he relays to that her brother his I name the, the is domino guy jeffrey stewart jeffrey sure. stewart which i learned from this week's previously on somehow we missed that in the last episode i guess but uh, it's funny because 
Jeffrey, you know, mm-hmm. because the name Jeffrey isn't frightening at all. Everything oh, no, about Domino true. is a letdown at every moment. That's Their true. family was bad at naming their children um, and bad at nicknaming their children. Yeah, that's mostly it for Ted's actual active role in the story this week. Um, but Helena has come to the same conclusion that Lucius was not the murderer of Simon and calls him in, I think, into the palace from yeah. prison? Yeah. Is that right? Which seems like it would be a pretty big deal. He's, like, unaccompanied, too. He just, like, walks in. I mean, he's cuffed, but it doesn't yeah. seem like there's a big security presence at all. I mean, that's par for the course. This week, Eleanor tells uh, Jacob Hill that she just needs some alone time. And he's like, okay, my cell phone's on. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's the degree to which the security <laughs> has lapsed. Where... She literally has an understanding with her bodyguard that she just says, go away, and he but does he it. he acts like he's, like, um, you know, like her her chill dad when he does it. Like, you take whatever yeah. time you need, sport. I trust you, but my cell phone is on, and I will be checking it. And let's not forget that this is a time when, in the past year, two members of the royal family have died, and the sitting king is widely hated by pretty much the entire country. Yeah, uh, the prime minister mentions that their polling indicates that if they were to, you know, have the referendum, then it would succeed. And I'm like, yeah, no duh. That seems pretty obvious at this point. But um, one more thing about the scene with Jeffrey and Ted. Jeffrey, a.k.a. Deep Throat, mm-hmm. uh Deep throat. Let's just call him Deep Throat. <laughs> well, Ted's like, so this is the end of it then. And he's like, oh, no, it's only the beginning. And I'm like, what does that mean? You haven't done anything. Are you? Is it just the beginning of your plot to murder Dutchie? Because that's like all you could really want at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, his daughter is not happy with Ted. Dominique Jr., who has clearly fallen for Liam, uh-huh. is pretty concerned that they're going to ruin Liam's life for something he had no involvement in, which is a fair thing. I would assume that they would just want revenge on on Joan it Collins. It seems like they but... want to like murder the whole family because of Dominique dying because uh Deep Throat acts like Robert's death was like part of some was something they wanted. I'm like, well now you're just fully in the wrong. How are you even justifying this to yourself or your kids? Like Oh, their grandmother killed your aunt, so now we're going to kill everyone. Kill somebody who wasn't even born at the time that Domino died. Unless it's like a serial killer thing where they want to kill all the children that came of the union of Simon and Helena. Because they wouldn't have existed. I I did say I could only think of one threatening Jeffrey, and serial killer does match that Mm. description. So maybe there's a connection there. Well, I hope I'm wrong Um, about that. That's like the only thing I can see where it would be like, there's a pattern, and this is the pattern we want. Because of the bitterness of Dominique not marrying Simon and having children of her own. But even so, it's incredibly petty. I mean, it's a petty program. It's an ineffective... Like, so far, everything they've done would result in fines, maybe, if they were caught. Like, they would get a few fines. A restraining fines order. For... Yeah, maybe a restraining order. Helena and Lucius, or Lucius. Yeah, I guess. She says um, that she 
they know that he didn't kill Alistair Lacey because Alistair Lacey is mm-hmm. alive. And then she hasn't even seen the security camera footage with him on it at the same time yet, has she? No, but I think actually at the time he was arrested, she expressed disbelief that yeah. he was the actual So she's killer. like, we know that you didn't kill Alistair and you're going to be completely exonerated. And like, obviously you can never come back here because you betrayed me. And he gets, like, super creepy and worm-tongue about it. He, like, wants to keep saying that he's Simon's murderer. And she's like, no, you can't. He gets all sniveling about, like, this this was my home and you worked so hard and you'll be queen and blah, 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 blah. It's just, like, very sniveling, very worshipful of her in a way that you're, like, you can't tell if it's sexual or not. And that makes it so much creepier because it's like right on the it's right i think purposely right on the line between sexual and not and i think that's been relatively true of their relationship from the beginning yeah but the actor who plays lucius is really selling it i mean he's doing this like dramatic like looks away and like drops of his eyes and drops of his head and he's got the posture and everything i mean he's just selling it there are some great character actors on this show well, yeah, yeah, there are, uh, and as we mentioned, um, we've mentioned we talked about Hill a lot, and I actually liked him a lot in this episode yeah. for the most part, uh, his performance. But but the 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 last big reveal of Helena and Lucius's uh, meeting is that Lucius reveals that Cyrus was the one who ordered the hit on farm boy Alistair Lacey. How is that a surprise? To Helena or anyone. But, I mean, that truly sets them at odds with each other. And everything they've been doing with Helena, trying to move her over from the antagonist to the protagonist side, has kind of come to a head now because she's going to go visit Prudence and encourage Prudence to leave um, Simon for the sake of her son to kind of, you know, escape with the baby while she can. But Prudence, you know, who's coming from a lower socioeconomic class, not in the way that Helena did, in like a mm-hmm. truly grew up poor, grew up working class. Um, she's really determined that her son will have a life full of advantages, which, I mean, he's going to have Cyrus as a father, which feels like the biggest disadvantage yeah. that could possibly exist. And he, I mean, Cyrus raped Prudence multiple times, and you kind of feel like that's how the baby was conceived unless they're retconning that. So it's just like extremely dark. All of the section, like they never mentioned that. And I, 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 I'll bet you, it seems like this character is going to be in season three. I'll bet you they never mentioned that. Oh, I mean, I'll take that bet. You're right. Jasper and Eleanor. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Their disregard for sexual assault on the show. Like they like it because it, it's, it's a cheap way, I guess, to make things for them, a cheap way to make things exciting or dramatic, but they don't like the idea of having to deal with the fallout or implications of something that yeah, dark like, being really in the core of a lot of the relationships. Or on even the show. fact that there might be any it's, sort of emotional implications beyond the moment for the victim. Like the stuff with Prudence and Cyrus in season one is incredibly dark. Like he makes allusions to like prison rape and stuff when he's coercing her and like 
it's very, very clear that it's not consensual and that she's basically being strongly blackmailed. So the show always played those moments super dramatically, you know, like it would be a close up on her eyes filling with tears and then they'd smash to a commercial break. And now it's just like it feels in just kind of skin crawling to see it presented this way. But unfortunately, that's not even the worst of the sexual content in this episode. Because we complained a lot about the sexual politics of the first season while yeah. we were watching that season. And even though they are mostly, we'll get to the biggest exception soon, absent this season, like that absence almost makes them worse in a way because it just makes it feel so insubstantial from the perspective of the show. Also, so Something... To me, so insidious. It makes the sexism seem all the more yeah. insidious when it's just like, well, you know what? That's not even something we have to deal with the implications of. It would yeah. be one thing if there were just no like, more sexual coercion on the show, but obviously that's, that's not the case. To be honest, it gives me the impression that they feel like these storylines that are rife with sexual assault are like attention-grabbing sort of interesting plot points and storylines instead of being deeply disturbing yeah. things to introduce into your show and that 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 attitude is just solidified by season two kind of makes our complaints about season one all the stronger i think so i think, I think yeah it's still like a very 50 shades of gray view of like sexual dominance and the gray areas of consent it's just like they want like the glamorous intensity of the moment but they can't deal yeah like basically what we've been saying just with any sort of fallout or any way that might affect yeah. someone's relationship or someone's personality but anyway yeah kind of want to like have their cake and yeah. eat it too helena i mean again but. you have to discount everything helena said and did in season one to even understand her scenes in season two because she That's was true. so horrible to prudence and did everything she could to get rid of her because she was jealous of her non-sexual relationship with simon and now prudence is like you got me kicked out of my job at the palace and helena's like well that was really cyrus but like helena had a hand in it and she bullied prudence the entire time she was working there and she was incredibly incredibly crass and cruel about her relationship with Simon. So, like, why should Prudence listen to Helena? I mean, she's right in this instance, but those characters don't have a good relationship. She was cross about every relationship in season one. So Jasper, Lee, uh, Jasper and Eleanor was obviously a disgusting relationship, but she was incredibly crass and critical of that. Now she's changed her tune on that pretty much completely. Ophelia she despised, but I feel like season two, Helena... Would be like, yeah, choose, choose, love. choose love. Go oh. find Ophelia. Oh, God. But so they, that character just changed yeah. so dramatically. Uh, I think that kind of covers the Lucius Helena well, stuff. Well, the only other thing is that Rachel encourages Helena to have the paternity test done just so that she can get oh. Alistair back in her life. Because that was his ultimatum was that one way or another, she had to have the paternity test done if she wanted him back in her life because he wanted to know whether or not the mm -hmm. children were his. And Helena yeah. says that just watching Liam's YouTube video that Dominique Jr. made, she knows that Simon is his father because of the way that he is. She knows it in her heart. And she basically tells Rachel that, like, 
her purpose in life is to be the queen and it doesn't matter like true love whatever she had with Alistair you know it's over she pretty much closes the door on that and that's fine he's really boring so I don't ever need to see him again I thought the I know in my heart who his father is thing was kind of like if it were another show, I would be like, come on, because obviously Simon raised Liam, so Liam is going to have some of his characteristics. Mm-hmm. But on the royals, I take it at face value. Yeah, she knows in her heart that the twins are Simon's children. Sure. I'm, I'm not People even kidding. People just know like, things sometimes on the show. That really puts the issue to like rest Like how Deep Throat me. just figured out. I don't think there's any doubt that yeah. they're Simon's children because of that scene. I'm 100% serious. I think in the world of the show, a mother saying that she knows in her heart who her children's biological da- father is. It, she knows. I never had, to be honest, I never had any real no. doubt that if, that they were Simon's children. I always just assumed that The only were. reason I did was because um, Alistair looked so much like Liam. I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess they got some good casting on it that It was a end, red herring. Either that or they didn't know what they wanted yeah. to do. But they want to leave that. That seems more likely to, to me. They want to leave that door open. <laughs> um... But the only other thing is, I guess, this storyline does give us one of the things we always point out, which is a sound effect over the Royals title card, because Helena gives Rachel the task of calling the prison where Lucius is being held early in the episode, and so, which shocks Rachel, and so we get the sound of a phone being dialed over the title card, but it's like the dialing on a on a dial-up or a, or an auto-dial, because it's super fast. But we always point those out, so I thought it might be good to do it yeah, this time Yeah, I well. mean, that's not one of the funnest ones that we've seen. I really like no. the one that had... Uh, the bomb That was rip. a good one. Yeah. Also, Eleanor calling out Mom uh, right under the title card after Helena was pinned mm-hmm. with the sword last week was pretty good. But um, definitely going to keep an eye out for more of those in Season 3. Uh, um, have we, do we have to talk about Eleanor's storyline now? I think first, I think we should do that last. So let's talk about Jasper yeah. and his search for the truth about Simon's murder. Um, so after being discouraged from investigating further in regards to the murder, uh, Jasper continues to do it anyway. Uh, he walks around the area where King Simon was walking the night that he was killed, trying to find a camera that maybe caught the event. Yeah, because this is actually something that has been established by the show. It's very weird that Simon was killed somewhere that had absolutely no cameras. So it's no likely cameras. the murderer knew where the cameras were and where they were looking. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, which also means he probably knew, and also knew King Simon's route ahead yeah, of time. Yeah, I mean, it's Ted, so um, he definitely did know both it of is those Ted. things. <laughs> he did. Yes. He walks into sort of a vacant little alleyway. It's bigger than that. It's like an alcove, kind of. It's underneath a bridge and, or something of some kind, because there's the roof thing on yeah. top of it. Yeah. And because he's Jasper... <laughs> He immediately pulls out his gun and points it at somebody behind him. He threatens the children with death because he comes up wearing a suit. And oh no 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 no! Goes... I'm talking about a little earlier. Oh, when they meet the guy who killed Robert has been following. Oh, Jasper I thought you were talking about when he talks to the sassy skater kids and he threatens to murder them. No, <laughs> yeah, no. We'll get to we'll get to that absurd scene. 
But um, no, it, this one's in the daytime. And he steps into an alcove and points a gun at a guy behind him. Turns out to be the guy from season one who killed Robert in that drone what crash. the hell are we going to call him? We probably had a name for him, but I don't remember it anymore. <laughs> I feel like his name is Trevor, He only Trevor, shows up once a season. <laughs> we could go with Trevor. He Trevor's looks like fine a Trevor. with me. Uh, so it's Trevor. Robert's killer, Trevor. It, it works with Jeffrey, you know? You got to pick a mundane name for your killer. And uh, they sort of have a standoff for a second. They ask each other why they were following each other. And then James Hill shows up out of nowhere and also points a gun at Trevor and says, I was the one following you, Trevor. Yeah, Trevor's like, why are you following me? And Jesper's like, I wasn't following you. Why are you following me? And then Hill appears and is like, I was the one following you. It's very, like, old-fashioned spies. They have, like, a triangle of guns pointed now, which is pretty hilarious, to be honest. It also doesn't really make sense, because in the next scene, Trevor admits that he was the one following Jesper. Yeah, why'd you ask someone you were so behind? Why are you following me? I don't know why... <laughs> Because Trevor asks first, why are you following me? But he's the one following yeah, Jasper. Yeah, just like, if you line them up in a single file line, it doesn't work. The logic, it, as per usual, the logic on the Royals makes no sense but whatsoever. But now this universe is like collapsing in on itself because things have stopped making even the most basic of sense. Within a, an individual episode, from scene to scene, <laughs> things no longer make sense. But uh, they go to some restaurant or something and... Uh, again, this guy is used to give us a little bit of exposition, I guess, or just remind us of things we already knew. Yeah, so... I don't know if he tells us anything new. He killed Robert, but he got the order from someone who got it from somebody else, and the higher-up who gave Trevor the order to kill Robert is now missing. Yeah, probably why they had him come back and repeat a lot of the same information he gave in the penultimate <laughs> Episode this of season is about one. to be real important. <laughs> um, so, and James Hill punches him for killing Robert, and that character disappears, never to be seen again until the penultimate episode of season three. Uh, unless they killed him, because later on, um, I'm pretty sure Jacob and Jasper do unrepentantly kill at least one person, if not more, in this episode. Definitely, I think at least two. I think at least I saw a pool two. of blood. <laughs> Next, I saw a pool of blood too. I definitely saw a pool of blood. Oh. So they get called away. We'll get to what they get called away to later on. Later in the episode, Jasper returns to walking the beat, trying to find a camera that might have caught the incident. And he meets these two skateboarding rapscallions who are playing in, a, in an overpass somewhere, under an overpass yeah. or something. It's got to be under some sort of bridge uh, or road. Yeah. Um, and because they are, uh, you know, poor skateboarding kids, they are super distrustful of the man in the suit immediately. Okay, so the little boy says to Jasper, where's the funeral? And Jasper shows him his gun and without smiling at all, says, your house, if you don't, you know, give me the information or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I actually wrote it down. Okay, the kid says, where's the funeral? Jasper flashes his gun and says, at your house, if you don't straighten up, you little shit. <laughs> Which is just the most aggressive way to talk to this kid who's like 10 years this old, This kid is like just making like a basic level knock-knock joke because Jasper's wearing a black suit. It wasn't like an insult, but Jasper goes from zero to 60 instantly. All is forgiven pretty quick because they become pretty chummy as soon as Jasper reveals he's not a cop. 
He's actually a bodyguard for the royal family, which these kids seem to sort of be a fan of. Well, I bet this actually would be true to life. They are interested in Eleanor and Liam because they're cool, which makes perfect sense. They take a shine to Jasper pretty quick after that. The boy suggests that watching Eleanor must have been a shit show. And Jasper says, Carl, brother, you have no idea. Which puts the blame on Eleanor, when really the blame rests squarely with Jasper. Yeah, that's true. What is the point of these two uh, adorable tots (laughs) who have shown up in this random bridge? And the point is that they are the most contrived plot development of all time. So convenient. It's unbelievable. No cameras caught this attack, but what the killer couldn't have known... (laughs) is that these two kids put a camera the night of the murder i'm guessing unless it had an unnaturally long battery life on uh like some overhang on the underside of this like bridge a beam. yeah like on top of a beam so it could get a weird distant angle of them doing skateboarding tricks and they could not get it down somehow they got it up there but they were unable to get it down the kid broke his arm trying And so now there's a camera, a secret camera, that happened to have battery life, that happened to be looking in the right place, and it happened to be on the night that King Simon was stabbed, and Cyrus happened to find these two kids and get this information out of them in about three minutes. Jasper found them. You said Cyrus. Oh, Jasper. Jasper. I understand that you always have Cyrus on the brain, though. That's only natural. Yeah, so Jasper watches the video, and the video that he's watching turns into like a flashback, like a a well shot flashback, so we can actually see what's going on. And conveniently, it's a video that is very high definition. Also, Ted turns to face the camera at the end of it after he's done murdering. (laughs) So there is that. You get a direct shot of his face. But anyway, what happened was. Ted is hiding behind a beam, presumably because he knew, like, the precise location of where he had to be not to be seen by the cameras. Then Simon walks past him. Ted says, Your Majesty. And I wish he had gone, Your Majesty, like Scar in The Lion King. That's one of the many great things that could have mm-hmm. happened if Cyrus, oh, yeah. Cyrus were the killer. Excuse me, my voice where, is breaking where so Where is much. a good, juicy, a good, juicy, like, Your after he turns majesty. away, if you're just going to play it up. Like yes. when Scar swipes like over the his bleeding body. Yeah. yeah. Uh, over his bleeding body, give us a nice long live. Yeah, the king. so Ted says, Your Majesty, and Simon turns. And the weird thing is, Ted slowly walks up to Simon, and Simon says nothing. Like, he, Ted says, Your Majesty, and you think he would go, like, Oh, hello, or Oh, Ted, or Oh, it's you, anything, or oh, anything. What are you doing or, here? Or, yeah. Any sort of vocal reaction. But just blank face, he just turns and stares at him while Ted slowly walks up and then just pulls out a knife and stabs him and stabs him again and like lifts up and then pulls the knife <laughs> out and it's over. But it's like, it's just, it comes off as a weirdly played beat because Simon turns and you expect him to say, anything and it's like at this point we know ted is the killer so you don't have to worry about him not saying something incriminating it's just very bizarre yeah i mean you don't even have to say something with ted's name in it like literally what are you doing here would have been he just looks at him that'd be a nice clip for the that'd be a nice clip for the next time on too having simon say what are you doing here? That, Mad Men. That's very, what I should say. That's very of. Mad Men previously on. Shut the door. Take a seat. You know? 
Jasper's found the truth. Uh, Liam, El- Eleanor, sort of related to her story, but we'll just talk about this now. Um, Liam is talking to Eleanor about Jasper, and she says, there's something I have to tell you about Jasper. And as I mentioned earlier, my thought was immediately like, oh, she's going to talk about the sexual blackmail and like the rape in season one that definitely happened. And no, the big sin Jasper has committed is that he was a con man who came there to steal their jewels. He's done so many shitty things and I'm so desensitized to it, you know, that it's just like, uh, he was trying to steal some diamonds. Okay. Nothing shocks me anymore. So Liam barges into the room where Jasper is, has just made this discovery, punches him in the face, angry about the fact that he was trying to steal from Eleanor. And Jasper's like, I know who killed your father. And I think that's actually the end of the episode. Yeah, pretty much. That's the end of that. And now we've saved the worst for last. So there's also Eleanor's storyline in this episode. It's unconnected to pretty much anything else in the season. Um, It doesn't need to exist, as far as I can tell, and it is deeply unpleasant. It's supposed to be empowering for Eleanor, but that they chose to exploit this type of character in this type of situation to just, like, beef up their leading lady's character development a little bit is completely tasteless and disgusting. And baffling, I would say. Yeah, it's not fun to watch. But, but, um, so, I guess we'll just start. She gets a call from the girl who she met in rehab in season one, who was seen with the Russian thug in the birthday episode, uh, telling her to meet her at some hotel lobby somewhere. And Eleanor says, Hey, James Hill, take the day off. I don't need a bodyguard for some reason. I'm going to go hang out with a girl who I know is dating someone from the Russian mob. I don't need to bring a bodyguard. If she had just let Hill come along and like sit away from them, not listening to their conversation, this whole thing, this whole disaster could have been avoided. Yes. And it is worth noting that before she receives, receives this text message, she's cleaning her room. She has apparently thrown away all of her drugs. And Hill comes in and he's surprised that it's like, uh, it, it looks so nice in there. I think he says he's used to her room looking like the toilet in train spotting. Yeah. <laughs> which is a, not a terrible line. I kind no, of like that line. I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, yeah, and then she gets this, this message. She goes to meet her at this hotel lobby and the girl asks if she's holding, uh, like if she has any, any, any drugs she could give her because I guess, I mean, they have a conversation about whether the girl is happy with her new boyfriend who is noticeably cruel at and controlling at the birthday party. And she's obviously not. I mean, this girl is giving off like every signal of saying I'm not okay. There's not a moment of doubt in the viewer's mind that she's doing a terrible job lying about being okay. But Eleanor is going back to Liam and being like, I don't know what's wrong with her. And it's like, she's 
doing like the textbook signs of having an abusive partner. Including when uh, someone else shows up in the hotel lobby, she is openly afraid of whoever this person is. Uh, that person comes to meet her. Clearly, they're meeting from the for the first time because she says something like, Oh, Dimitri, it's nice to meet you. And as they walk away, he is already instantly groping her. So, I mean, I feel like Eleanor should know at least to some degree what the situation is, but she seems to not be certain at this point. On a better show, you could probably have a plot line about how, oh, this girl is so sheltered that a woman being in this sort of domestic situation wouldn't even come into her mind. But it just comes off as her being kind of callous and clueless, especially because the show has no idea what it means to be, you know, trapped in sexual slavery or in even a garden variety domestically abusive relationship because throughout the episode they're tossing language about oh the mistakes this girl made oh she chose to stay with him because of the lifestyle he provided and oh she didn't want to leave blah 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 even though it's very clear that this girl desperately wants to leave and is terrified of doing so because there are like armed thugs surrounding her at all times it's so bizarre yeah it definitely is just and it's so out of the blue it's such a minor character um even when the thug showed up in the birthday episode you gotta read that he wasn't a nice guy but to make it this dark just this quickly yeah. with such a minor character it's for for no reason that really advances the overall plot of oh the it show. doesn't at all except because yeah. Eleanor was already so get on the path to getting sober before she got this message, so it's like she had already thrown away her yeah. drugs. But anyway, I'll just be the one to have it out. So Eleanor gets another call from this girl, goes to meet her again. The poor girl, you know, has a black eye, and it's obvious that she's been pretty badly beaten. And Eleanor comes to learn that you know she's trapped in this relationship with this guy named. Victor, who of course seemed so nice at first, but turned out to be pretty much a heinous monster. And on top of that, he's like pimping her out to his business associates. I don't know what to call like fellow mobsters. We're never given the details, which I'm glad that we're never given the details. But it's just like unbelievably Eleanor has a throw for a minor plot line. A throwaway line about some kind of oil barracks or something. Like there are oil so many some... bad one-liners in this plot line, which is just like horrifying. I'm just going to get through the nasty parts. So Eleanor tries to contact Hill, but the guards of this girl come bursting in and she's trying to get the rehab girl away from them and they're grabbing Eleanor and she gets a pretty good hit on one of them with a like a toilet paper roll holder metal stand thing yeah it some kind of metal the bar. back and forth doesn't even really matter the girls are very distressed it's pretty horrible to watch um then Hill and Jasper burst in, and Jasper has some sort of shitty line. What was his... He says there's always a jackass who brings a knife to a gunfight, Ugh. because at this point, Victor is, like, about to... Like, he has a knife that he is threatening Eleanor yeah. with. 
But of course, Jasper's got to be all pithy about it. Yeah. And they come in and they obviously have guns because they always have guns and prevent him from harming her. And that's his little one-liner. And then there's this but. bullshit that I guess is supposed to be empowering where the girl like takes off all her jewelry piece by piece and then also takes off her dress and is like, you and your things don't own me anymore. But again, it's all going back to this whole idea that she like somehow chose this. And also, I felt that that moment kind of was meant to sexualize her too by having her getting naked like basically face-to-face with, you know, her rapist Uh, like that. It was very poorly played. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be, like, a a big emotional, like, payoff. But the problem also is that we have no context for this character outside of the storyline. Like, all she is in relation to this show is, like, one, she's going to be this thing that's... Like, the rest of the episode is pointing at her as this parallel to Eleanor... But, like, she has no pre-existing character outside of being in this, like, horrific situation. Well, we know that... So it's... We know from her episode last season that her mother was a drug addict who abandoned her. And that she's had struggles ever since then. So it's very unfair for the show to act like this woman who was born with no advantages in life. It would be just as easier for her to get out of this romantic relationship, like... Compared to someone like Eleanor, who has every privilege in the world. It's just like, they're making it seem like, oh, she should have just left. But I don't think the show really takes into account that all their characters are coming at this from such a privileged perspective of, like, having money and having people to be there for them if that would happen. Eleanor takes her back to the palace, but briefly before we get to that, um, Hill sends them away and says he's going to have a talk with... With the Victor guy. Uh, after that, we we cut to the outside of the room they're in, where there are two bodyguards in pools of they're blood. They're two bodies guards now, because they appear to be dead. And that's the most blood I've seen on the Royals. Me too. Yeah, they definitely look like... Maybe, maybe only rivaled by Simon at the gates. I guess so. They're like... I'm so dark. They're literally in pools of... It looks like they were shot or something. It's coming from their heads. Yeah. I mean, there were no gunshots prior to them entering the room. And I also am uncertain... Do you think the implication is that he kills Victor too? Yes. Absolutely. That's kind of what I thought. (laughs) But you don't... Again, you don't hear a gunshot or anything. He says... Victor and I came to an understanding very significantly. And I think the implication is definitely that he killed him. I would say there's maybe some room for debate over whether or not the guards were killed or just incapacitated. Although with that much blood, they're they're dead. But I think think we're definitely meant to understand. It's like Dutchie last week talking about how uh, Violet may have gotten into an accident or not or whatever it was where you're like, are you trying so, to tell me or just imply? It just, it, it, I guess it, it re-highlights how incredibly out of place and how just too intense and too dark this storyline is that two major characters on the show have now killed three people. Like, to this point, <laughs> as far as I know, Jasper and James Hill have not killed anybody, but... 
And it's never mentioned again. I doubt it'll ever be mentioned again on the show. But it's so weird that they just have this really dark storyline where the antagonists of the storyline are literally killed. One of them, like, murder. Like, <laughs> he murders Victor. Like, the bodyguards, maybe they were fighting back. But, like, <laughs> he had him at gunpoint. I'm not going to pretend to be sad about it because I don't think no, this guy it's... who was like holding girls in sexual bondage. No, of course not. But uh, you know, had anything to give the world? But it's still crazy, especially because last episode Hill was painted as like this loving, wise, like Mary Poppins of bodyguards, basically. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so... like he'll be here till the wind changes. It's so strange. The everything about the storyline just uh, I don't know what. I mean, I have a, I have a, a billion questions talking about what good old soldier Trevor, because we don't know his name, was talking about. Uh, so his higher up was given an order who then passed the order down to him. Who's taking orders from the head of palace security about major military operations? Or was Ted like, I'm doing my Simon voice? Like, what was happening? If it had come from Cyrus or Helena, you'd be like, oh, at least they're a member of royalty. But it's Ted. Everyone hates him. I. That's yeah, true. I, I don't. That's I don't what I'm... quite. I guess he, he probably. I mean, he he did it through somebody else, but. I mean, there is no answer. There is no. no answer. I'm just saying the inconsistencies are more than skin deep. It's more than just like, sure. wait, why would you be going to New York for this ambassadorship? It's more like, wait, why are the events of this show happening at all? Why is anything happening? Yeah. Or, or why are you asking if he's following you, if you're the one following him, uh, which you immediately reveal in the next scene? Like, it, I don't know. Like, this show is really destroying us, I think, at this point. <laughs> We're just, like, muttering and repeating ourselves and babbling at this point. Let's but... just finish up. Eleanor brings this girl back to the palace to recuperate. And at that point, her only role is to be, like, a symbol, like, of somebody who managed to get out of the crazy world of, I, I mean, drugs, I guess. Because she's a parallel to her. Eleanor. Yeah, I guess. It's crazy. They're, in my opinion, they're shaming her every moment. It's supposed to be like, this girl, the luxuries she had being a gumar to the Russian mob are equal to Eleanor's luxuries being a princess, and neither of them could give up their luxurious lifestyles. It seems like the storyline would have been way more effective to me if she had just been a girl who had been a drug addict and actually successfully quit. Yeah. And Eleanor got to see her again, and she was just like... Maybe not living a perfect life, but happier and making her way. And Eleanor could just find it inspiring that this girl managed to shake off her demons. But no, they had to do like this whole... The last thing is she talks briefly to Jasper, who returns the earrings to her. Like, James Hill gave her these earrings that belonged, I guess, were the ones that they stole or something. And he returns them to her. And... Eleanor talks about how there ha there's always been an unhappy girl in that room who didn't feel like she could be loved. And it's the metaphor is really strange because I'm not sure if it's implying 
that Jasper is the healthy root for her, like the person who can love her. No. Or if there's like, or if he's the problem that she keeps returning to. Yes. I thought that she was implying that she had, you know, allowed herself to be sucked back into this relationship with him time after time that had never really escaped it. And I actually thought she was making a parallel between, um, between Jasper and between the Russian mobster boyfriend and like saying that, I mean, taking that implication and stretching it to be like, you sexually assaulted me, which I know the show tries to forget, but I was like, for a second, I was like, oh my gosh, are they actually making that parallel? But I think it was less deep than that. The the show has so plainly for the past few episodes forgotten that aspect of their relationship and painted it as though he truly and deeply is in love with her. And since part of the monologue and was about how she was so unwilling, issues. yeah, yeah, unwilling to accept love, I really found it confusing what 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 it was intended to make us think. But there, there it that storyline has always been sexist; it always will be sexist. It's just like Eleanor is so emotional; she has so many problems; she can't accept Jasper's love. Okay, that girl, we never see her again. She's gone in the next episode. Um, Painful episode. Yeah. Honestly, especially compared to the treat of last week, but just also in general. Kind of yeah. a mess. So I guess your closing question? Uh, yeah, just when it's an off week doesn't mean that we're off the hook with the question. Uh, although I'm not sure I have an answer yet myself. What was your favorite moment or image from this week's episode? Oh, I'll briefly mention an image that still works that we haven't talked about much that I thought is nice is... The portrait of Eleanor, which she spray painted the red spray paint mm-hmm. directly over the face, Definitely. like the portrait of Simon. It's a pretty nice portrait. Yeah. And it does look striking with the spray paint over the face. So that is actually not a bad little bit of set dressing. Um, and they get a good, nice shot of that early in the episode, too. Um, I liked Hill's train spotting line. And I liked, just because it was so ridiculous. I kind of couldn't help but laugh at the scene with the two kids, the two skateboarding kids uh, under the bridge. So I'll go with uh, any one of those. Oof. It is so tough because this week was just bummer city left and right. I mean, even stuff like the prime minister bums me out because to have the opportunity for a powerful lady and just make her like be interested in like, oh, I could use a drink. Do you want to join me? Is painful. Sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to go with, going to go with um, <laughs> fucking Ted turning around and facing the MacGuffin camera. Just when I watched <laughs> this, especially the first time, I was like unreal. Like his back is to the camera the entire time he stabs Simon and then he just turns around and like, Mm-hmm. There it is. And the show has been trying to, like, drag it out and tease it out for so long now. I felt relief that, you know, it's over. That it's finally confirmed. And it's less disappointing this time, but the first time I saw the episode when it was 100% done deal, it is Ted. I I was so let down. I mean, and, we knew, but we didn't know. So yeah. we were holding out hope that it would be someone else, but... And it just feels like the least dramatic way to reveal this is to have one major suspect, Ted, that you 
Say is the major suspect five episodes early. You keep introducing more evidence that it's him. And then the big reveal is that it's him. I actually have, I have a crackpot maybe, or maybe super smart theory about why this plot line happened at all and why it feels so clunky. Sure. I think in season one, they decided that Ted was going to be the killer. Like they knew all along that Ted was going to be a killer. That was not a season two um, decision. Okay. And the reason it feels so out of place was because when they planned it in season one, they assumed that Ophelia would be in season two. So it would be that Liam's girlfriend's father had killed his father. And that was what was going to create the conflict. But then yes. Ophelia left because of scheduling problems. That would make a lot of sense. And um, that's why Ted is left like this dangling figure barely attached to the rest of the cast in the middle of nowhere because Ophelia was his emotional link into the story. Sure. And it would explain uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt that they had planned uh, a fair amount of season two ahead of time. Like they would have had to rewrite a great deal of what they had set up. They would have had to introduce these bland characters for Liam to be involved with. That could be why Genevieve Willow feels so truly inserted in as an Ophelia surrogate. But I just thought of it this week because there's a couple moments where characters mention Ted's daughter. They don't refer to her by name as Ophelia, but his ghost wife mentions her once and Dominique Jr. mentions her once, I think. Or he, yeah. Ted mentions her in his conversation to Dominique Jr. So I was like, oh, the show does remember that he has a daughter. And that's when I had my... That's my th that's my theory. I mean, maybe we'll never know, but sounds logical. I don't think that they wrote the majority of season one knowing that Ophelia wouldn't be around for season two. Yeah, I mean, and you could make the same argument that a lot of what Jasper was supposed to do in terms of helping Liam may have been originally intended for Marcus. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess that brings us to a close. Oh man, well. One. You know what? I'm actually glad that we ended on a theory because next week, a couple of theories from season one of our show are going to come home to roost in a big way. And I'm very excited to talk about it. So, yeah, so uh, we're join us next time for the finale of the second season. The most recent episode of the Royals as of this recording. That's true. And we will still have a season two wrap up after that, where we'll talk about our predictions for season three and go over all the crazy shit that went down this season. Mm -hmm. um, in the meantime, as of tomorrow, which is Thursday, April 14th, um, a new podcast produced by our producer, Darren Husted, uh, As If, the Clueless podcast, yeah. will be going live. It should be available and, by the time you hear this show. Yes, definitely, because we release on Sunday. So it will have already been up for a few days by the time you're listening to it. Uh, it's going to be a really fun show that gives an incredibly um, in-depth look at one of my favorite movies, Clueless. And I was lucky enough to be able to be one of the first guests on the first episode of the show, along with Phil Gonzalez from the excellent Berenstein Bears podcast down in Bear Country. I should briefly mention that I have another show that I never, ever, I ever mention on this. Um and we mention this show on that show every single week because my co-host always brings it up. Um, but I have another uh, podcast called The Revisionists, 
It is a history podcast, history comedy, where we invite another guest. Usually it's a comedian from the Denver area to come. And one of the members, one of the people on the show presents the real history of some figure or event. And the other person presents a crazy, stupid, weird alternate version that has cyborgs or demons or ghouls or something in it. And at the end of the episode, we vote on which becomes the accepted history for our podcast. And going forward, that is the truth in that universe. So that's nice. the basic premise. It sounds incredibly refreshing to be on a show that has like segments and structure and a plan yeah. and a yeah. hook. I hey, can't imagine only, what that's like. And it's only about 30 to 40 minutes long an episode. So we keep it pretty tight over there. Oh my God. That sounds incredible. Well, uh, thanks for sticking with us. You can contact us on Facebook at our Facebook page, Stage of Fools, or on Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod. Uh, until next time, I'm Shannon Camp. I am Zach Powers. See you Bye. later. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis. <laughs>